I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. I am Eric. And I'm Lauren. And this is, for maybe the last time, not in a live setting, She-Ra, Progressive Power. Oh my Power. gosh, you're right. I know. This might be our last, quote, studio recording, even though it's back in your apartment. Yeah, we, I don't want to say downgraded, because it's really cool here, but we've been spending a lot of time at Cards Against Humanity, and our guest, who we'll introduce in a minute, happens to live in my neighborhood, so this felt more convenient. Also, they're using the studio to house uh, stuff for... Patrick Rothfuss's charity this week, which is pretty nice, um, but it means there's no room for peons like us, oh, which is dang. totally fine. Well, we'll be there next week, two weeks. Yeah, we'll be in the... So it will have already happened by the time this episode comes out, but we will have recorded our live finale in the Cards Theater. Yes, I'm very excited. We're going to pack it with guests and pie, and I just received our cocktail recipes. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, so if you are hearing this and want to come, tough shit, it already happened. (laughs) But if you're hearing this and you want to listen, well, that's going to be next week's uh, season and or series finale. We're watching the Christmas special. It is December after all. Yes, I can tell because it dropped 30 degrees since yesterday. Yes, it did. Oh, boy. And appropriately, we are doing a very seasonal episode today called Black Snow. Finally, we get to Frosta. Now, which is funny because, Lauren, do you remember at the end of the very first episode we did, you're like, I can't wait to meet all of She-Ra's colorful friends because yes, you said you had Yes, there Googled. were so many toys. Mm-hmm, Mermista, Frosta, Sweet Bee. Haven't seen any of them I've until yet to now. See, yeah, we haven't seen Perfuma, and I guess we won't. Dang. So here's this episode. It starts really in the middle of everything. If only there were a Latin term that meant in the middle of the action. These two groups, the snow people and the selkies, which are kind of like otter people. I thought they were moles, but that might be because I'm thinking of our fair city. They do look like, they're like mole otters, are are ready to go to war with each other because black snow is falling on the Selkie kingdom and they blame Frosta who has elemental powers not unlike Iceman even with the ice sleds and everything. Frosta is adamant that it's not her and she calls in She-Ra to help get to the bottom of this because probably it's the Horde. Well it is the Horde but the hotheads on both sides of the conflict don't really care. They are ready to go to war no matter what. So the Selkies capture Frosta. The snow people take that as a means of, or as a sign of aggression, and the two go to battle. Luckily, She-Ra has tracked down the source of the black snow, which is a weather machine, not unlike Cobra Commander's plot in the G.I. Joe pilot. She brings the Horde villains to justice and shows up at the kind of penultimate war scene with this, this weather machine saying, hey... 
Frosta's right. She didn't do it. And then there's still people on both sides who are like, yeah, but we hate the other people. All they want to do is fight. And Frosta and She-Ra and kind of the Selkie elder talk all of them down. And I think that's the episode, right? There's really not a lot that goes on in this one. I didn't take a lot of notes for this one. It was very straightforward. It was. Um, but there's some interesting stuff going on, and we have a very interesting guest. Uh, our guest today is Mr. Sean Kelly, a member of the improvised Star Trek crew of Star Trekkers, uh, also politically active in the same ward where Lauren and Amea Poar come from, and also works in marketing. Is that correct? Sort of. Uh, I did. I worked in advertising for like four years, and before, well, no, it was longer than that. It was like six years. Uh, advertising and marketing, and now my my title is uh, customer success manager, which is sort of similar. There's some crossover there, but it's not. It's it's a little different. So the topic we're talking about is propaganda, which is maybe kind of loosely connected to the topic, but I think there's a lot in this episode, and there's a lot going on in the real world. And obviously, kind of the main point of this episode is, to me at least, is that no matter what is really happening both the selkies and the snow people really want to fight each other and it's mostly rooted in their prejudices of each other and all the horde has to do is flip one little switch of making black snowfall and they're both just ready to tear each other to shreds and ruin their kingdoms to do it which i thought was pretty interesting and maybe a little timely what did you think about that uh, well, I definitely agree. Uh, we saw a propaganda episode kind of earlier in our show, uh, and that was a lot more like fake news, literal advertising propaganda. This one has a lot more to do with pre-rooted stereotypes and pre-rooted fears. It made me think a lot about, you know, who do we have in our society right now that should share a common enemy, but instead sort of turn on one another. And we could take that in a lot of directions. I mean, race is kind of a, is a huge thing right now. Rich versus poor, urban elites versus rural. And the current administration really seems to benefit so much from divisiveness and the American people being uh, distracted by one another that this episode really resonates right now. It actually makes me wonder, do you know what was politically going on at the time? Was this referring to anything back in the 80s? I mean, it was the Reagan administration, so it's the height of the Cold War, or like kind of the height of the end of the Cold War. And so there was a lot of like Russia versus United States, and there was a lot of messaging that kind of like went along with that. I mean, if you watch a lot of movies from the 80s, there's a lot of uh, like Russia's the big bad guy and uh america is the good guy and we need to stand up for them so as far as stuff happening in the united states that comes to mind um, and this is literally a cold war so that yeah. that quite makes sense actually <laughs> okay yeah that's true though i mean i guess the what, what what we remember from the cold war now is sort of this feeling of at any point this whole thing could just tumble over the edge. At any point, this could just escalate into not Cold War, but actual war. And we got right up against that edge in this episode, too. Uh, and, you know, I fully admit there have already been a couple of times in the current presidency, particularly concerning North Korea, that I've wondered how close to that edge we are today. And I also saw someone for the first time the other day use the term Cold Civil War, which... Yeah. I don't know if that's a little hyperbolistic, and maybe it is, but it kind of feels like that's where we're at as well. 
Um, something I kept thinking about as I watched the episode was I've read a lot and like kind of studied a lot about effective political advertising campaigns. And one of the things that is generally true is basically the most effective dirty campaigns are when an ad campaign or uh, a news story breaks that reinforces negative opinions that people kind of already had. But her emails? But her emails is a great example. Like it didn't matter that there was, you know, in the end, nothing to it. It reinforced this belief that people had that Hillary Clinton was corrupt. Um, I mean, Mitt Romney's 47% comment is actually another really great example. People already thought Mitt Romney was sort of an aloof, aloof, rich douchebag. And, you know, then this comment leaked and it kind of reinforced that. And, uh, you know, you saw his numbers drop right after that happened. And so, like, the Selkies, who I thought were seal people, Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> because in Celtic mythology, sel- Selkies are are seal people. Fair. Uh, they already harbor these biases against the snow people, and the snow people already harbor these biases against the Selkies. And so uh, having something negative that happened to each side, basically, that already reinforced their negative opinions was all they really needed. Usually in this show, it's the young people who who have the clearest eyes, let's say. But it was the young on both sides of this conflict, at least for the Selkies, that really wanted the battle, which I thought was interesting. That was very unique. And I, I try to compare that to today, right? Most of my political optimism comes from our generation, the millennial generation, that thanks to the internet and thanks to more people than ever moving into cities. We're just more connected to diversity than ever before. We have a wider worldview. We're more respectful of other points of view. And it's amazing. And I keep thinking like, we're going to change the world permanently. But there are also young people in like the dark corners of the internet on these red pill, like Nazi forums as well. And so maybe my optimism is misplaced. Maybe we're just raising another generation of people with the same hangups. I I think your optimism is in the right place. I I think the vast majority of young people do fit the description that you just laid out. But I do think that there are people who are our age or younger who don't feel like they are a part of that for, you know, sometimes valid and sometimes incredibly invalid reasons. And I, I think that they have... Uh, reacted to that very poorly and I think that the internet and and you know people like Donald Trump have given those people uh, a pretty big platform I went to Washington DC for a wedding in the 
spring and something that really struck me as my wife and I were walking around the National Mall was you you saw all these tour groups so like high school kids and like junior high kids and every single tour group that I saw there'd be like 30 or 40 kids and maybe like every other tour group you would see a cluster of five boys wearing MAGA hats uh, and it was it was never like the entirety of a, a class. It was never it was always boys. It was never girls. The only woman I saw wearing a MAGA hat was a tourist, like clearly a tourist from outside of the country who probably thought that was like the mouse ears of Washington, D.C. But that that really struck me. And it, it made me really nervous because it made me feel like, you know, in addition to this like optimistic, you know, young cohort, there's this sub cohort that is probably not going to go anywhere and those people are going to grow up and they're going to you know run for office and win office and if donald trump had not been elected president they might not have found these views that they had as 15 year olds to have validity but having someone with the office of the president say hey that hateful thing you believe that's right and that's good and let's put it up on a pedestal it's going to have a big impact on someone whose brain is kind of still in its formative phase Uh, we should probably talk about Russia since we're talking about propaganda, right? So how do you guys, because I think this is an interesting topic, how do you think, uh, what is your take on the whole Russia situation? Because I'm of two minds, right? Like it definitely is kind of everybody's best hope for nailing Trump on something, whether or not that will really make a difference with the Republican Congress. I also do feel though like people are putting too much stock in it. Like, yeah, we had a bombshell of a revelation Friday that like, some of Trump's highest advisors are deeply involved with Russia, but man, I don't know. I really, I feel like people saying, oh, collusion, and that's why Trump is president, and that's the only reason why, is just really missing a humongous point. I, I think Russia exploited something that already existed, right? I think the, the divides that exist in this country have been here for a long time and have gotten really bad recently. And I think Russia saw an opening and they also saw a uh, the opportunity to use technology, to use social media, to uh, exploit those divisions. And I, I think they did it. And I, I think you're – I don't think people are putting too much stock in what Russia's done because I think what Russia's done in tampering with a U.S. election is – makes me really scared uh, and nervous and uncomfortable and the possibility that – a president or even just high-ranking officials within a president's orbit were possibly in the pocket of Russia makes me r really nervous and uncomfortable for the stability of the country. But the thing that makes me more nervous and uncomfortable is that the country was 
ready for it. Ready for it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is like even if we find Trump guilty of collusion with Russia, like yes, it's a problem, but it's not the problem. That's not what gave us Trump. It's just another symptom. So, how do you feel about the Russia situation? Is a huge question, uh, and I kind of I have a lot to say about it. Here we go. So, for one. I think we already are to a point where Trump's base doesn't care. If you listen to right-wing radio, which I tend not to, but I have a coworker who does, and thus I've actually started dipping my toe into that pond. Right-wing radio, which I consider propaganda, is already planting the seeds for people to not believe whatever comes out of this. Uh, Right-wing radio is saying, well, Flynn's just going to lie under oath to save his own ass. Or even more egregious, they're saying, even if there was collusion, it's fine because the hypothetical presidency that people imagine from Hillary Clinton is just worse than anything that Donald Trump could possibly do. And so even if collusion 100% happened to the level of just flat-out treason, it's going to be fine for this base of supporters because this is the outcome they wanted, and they wanted it at all costs, even if it was dirty. Um, That said, as much as I believe impeaching Donald Trump won't fix our nation's problems, we have a lot more work to do than that. We have to be concerned about this. We have to fix it because it doesn't end with this election. If we don't fix this and uproot it and just get the poison out as soon as possible, the next election also is influenced by a, a foreign power and the election after that and the election after that. And I you know, for as depressing as I as I find politics right now, I love America. I love that I live in the United States of America. I do still think we can be the greatest nation in the world, and I do think democracy is important. And we have to fight for democracy. We have to fight for the American concept that every regular person on our soil comes together and makes a choice. The problem is, the the reason this is going to be so hard to uproot, right, is that nobody wants to believe they were manipulated. Nobody admits or even realizes that they were influenced by propaganda. A lot of people you listen to on NPR, if I go and talk to my own father, they would say, well, sure, Russia influenced things in the United States, but not me. I made my own choice. I listened to what was around me and I made my own choice because you don't want to believe that you were influenced by something like that. And I don't know how we're going to fix this until people start admitting, you know what, maybe Russian Twitter bots actually changed my mind. I think this is like a decades long project. Um, And it it only begins with uh, Donald Trump leaving the presidency. You know, the next part is almost the harder part. And that is um, fundamental changes to vast parts of American culture. And I think a lot of that comes from things like improving access to education around the country, um, you know, building infrastructure. Uh, I, I think in a lot of places we need to change things that people are taught at school. I grew up in New England. And so like the way I was taught the Civil War was uh, the South wanted to preserve slavery and the Union wanted did not want that. And so it was a war that was fought over slavery. But, you know, kids in the South are taught most of the time that, 
you know, it was an issue of states' rights and that slavery probably would have gone away in a couple of years after that, no matter what. Uh, and that, you know, their, you know, great, great grandfathers were heroes. And, you know, that's a, a very appealing lie. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, getting rid of or uh, trying to change things that people are taught like that is uh, is going to be a, lo- a a very long project that might never end. Uh, one thing I say all the time is that everyone is the hero of their own story, and that includes their ancestors. Right? It is so difficult to just look at yourself and say I was wrong about anything. Whether it was I was wrong in my vote, I was wrong in what I thought about a specific political issue, or maybe even just my ancestors were wrong. You know, we put so much stock in respecting our elderly and respecting our dead that, man, I can only imagine what it's like living in the South and being like, maybe great great grandpa wasn't a hero like no one wants to say that well or even living where we do live like i was never taught about the things that were racist about new england i didn't learn about the boston busing crisis until i was 18 years old uh you know i didn't learn that you know bill russell who was like the greatest player on the boston celtics had people break into his home and write racist graffiti all over the walls uh in the 60s in the suburbs they don't teach you that the red line stops at 95th street for a reason I want to give a shout out before we close this discussion to one of the best pieces of journalism I've ever read. And Sean, I bet you've read it too. That Atlantic article from maybe three or four months ago that argued, I think, quite persuasively that what the Republicans have done, at least since Karl Rove, but starting with Reagan, is weaponized the free love movement of the 60s that extreme leftists use and turned it to evil. Because like, when liberals talk about no literal truth. They generally mean things that are harmless, like you can love who you want. That doesn't hurt anybody. Or like, we're all astral spirits. Who the fuck cares? But then when Republicans start eroding literal truth, we get things like Karl Rove talking about reality-based communities. And we get things like 35% of the country that just flat out deludes themselves about the kind of person that Donald Trump is. And I think, yeah, that's that's the battle, is dismantling this unreality that Republicans have successfully weaponized. You guys, I think this is the least we've talked about She-Ra since a loss for words, if not ever. It's true. We could talk about She-Ra a little bit more. What (laughs) what I really wanted to say about this episode that is not political is this is the most toy-heavy episode I've ever seen. Because not only do we have Modulok, who's already a brilliant toy concept, but we have his, like, two-headed C-3PO friend. What a poorly designed robot. (laughs) I was like, how does he walk? 
How does he be? He looked like two robots having sex with each other. <laughs> and we went into the, like, She-Ra's sword finally jumped the shark for me. Oh, yeah. Because she does, you know, sword to shield, and that makes sense. Sword to rope makes sense. But it was sword to magnet and line. And now I think there's just no limits to what she can do. She's now Superman to me. And that's not good. That was rough. I also wanted to talk about Multibot. Very poorly designed. Why would Modulog design a robot that is sassy and incompetent? (laughs) And yet... I liked the character. I thought it was some nice levity in the episode. Uh, I like that Shira defeated him by kind of just being a smartass with him. And I like that even the music cues don't take him seriously. Like, he gets the comical music the whole time. Like, not even the director is like, this this guy is no threat at all. <laughs> yeah, the, the episode is written like, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his head can turn into a cannon. His feet can turn into skis. Right, he should be great. Everyone on the show can turn some part of their body into a gun. <laughs> that's, that's true. And yet they only use those guns to shoot at inanimate objects. Yeah. Not to just suddenly jump to something incredibly lighthearted, but why are the snow people so not clothed? Why are they, <laughs> they so are, nude? They are so naked. Uh, they... The I I I haven't watched He Man or Shira in a long time, and I really really forgot how much of it looks like bad Jack Kirby. So like yes. all these people wearing no clothes in a a very cold place, and the, at least the Selkies have I think they have fur. Yeah. For so sure. the fact that they're only wearing loincloths is kind of like oh you know fine whatever. But you know then you've got these like barbarian ice people wearing pretty much nothing, and I I thought that a lot. I literally wrote in my notes that Bron should probably put some clothes on. He was the main snow person besides Frosta. I hope that's not like dude shaming for his fashion choices. Well, I think that of He Man too, and he had literally an entire show. <laughs> True, but Bron lives in ice. Like, <laughs> um, I'm glad you said Jack Kirby because I was trying to place what comics character Bron reminds me of, and it's Mike Grell's Warlord. Yes. He is designed exactly like Warlord. He, like so much like Warlord that I was like, they just ripped off Warlord. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I couldn't put my finger on it, but that's absolutely right. It's Warlord. And he was a Warlord. I mean, you must be right. Like, there had to be some political thing, probably the Cold War, in the mind of the writer when he wrote this, because this is definitely one of the more message-heavy episodes of She-Ra. And yet... Are we ready for it? Freaking Loki! I G-chatted Eric, and he hadn't even watched the episode yet, apparently. And I was like, Eric, this is the worst Loki moral we've ever done. It's literally the worst one ever. And he told me not to spoil him because he hasn't watched the episode yet. So we've talked about morals that... So there's there's many different kinds of morals. Morals that complement the action. Morals that restate the action. Morals that sidestep a little bit but are kind of in the ballpark. This one was like... They didn't even watch the episode. <laughs> they probably just pulled this moral out of a hat and they were like, yeah. In an earlier episode, in an earlier episode, we surmised that maybe 
they had at the beginning of the production process a list of morals that they wanted to hit and then they had to slot them in somewhere. And so I could see that very clearly in this episode as a possibility. Like illness prevention was a thing. Where could we slot it in? Oh crap, oh crap. Yeah, so here's the moral. Today She-Ra healed a howler that was sick. It's no fun being sick. But there are some things you could do to avoid that, like dressing warmly in cold weather and eating healthy foods. Ask your parents what to do, because getting sick is just no fun at all. So let's break this down. First of all, it's barely internally consistent. It starts with being kind to animals and then turns into a message about dressing warm. And it has our favorite trope, Lauren's favorite, which is tell your parents... Put the burden on your parents to really unpack this one for you. Bye now. This is garbage. I think tell your parents is fine when it's like, tell your parents to help you carve a pumpkin with a knife. Uh, you know, I I think the connection is just that it's cold. the whole episode was cold, and it was really playing on this erroneous belief that tons of people have that you get sick when it's cold outside. Right, it's pseudoscience, though. Looky. Granted, Shira is all pseudoscience. That's uh, true. Okay. I guess maybe this is a case where the actual weight of the episode was too much because they didn't want to explain what the Cold War was to children. Right, I guess. Tell I... your parents not to wage war on people who are kind of like them. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your parents not to be distracted by propaganda and instead to focus on the real threats of society. Yeah. Tell your parents to stop building such weird robots. Bye now. <laughs> yeah, why couldn't that be the moral? Like, If your parents are inventors, tell them not to build things that will bite them in the ass. <laughs> no sassy robots with gun arms. <laughs> oh my god. So also, I think this is great that this is sort of our like final potential studio episode because the wiki for this episode revealed to me once and for all that Lookie is a deceptive asshole. Apparently, when Lookie reveals his hiding place in the epilogue, his head is literally more in view in the reveal than it was in the actual episode. So all the kids at home, like me, who were like, where was Lucky this episode? Felt like idiots, but it was because he was literally more hidden during the episode. And Wikipedia called him out. I'm done with you, Lucky. I'm done with you for my life. What if Lucky is like an evil demon and all of Shira is just like his twisted imaginings and he's torturing children who can't find him. Eric, oh my god. <laughs> Wait, that's not what this show is? <laughs> if we do a season two, we are absolutely watching the episode where Lucky plays a part in the plot. I know. I thought we were going to and I'm disappointed. I will do a season two just for that. So let's say that the authors were trying to somehow encapsulate the real political moral into something kids would understand. What do you, how do you phrase it? Okay, this one is super easy for me. It is the very stereotypical tropey message of don't judge a book by its cover that happens several times in this episode. Because Frosta has snow powers, we automatically assume that she's the the cause of our problems because a saber-toothed tiger whose mystical name I don't remember right now is attacking we automatically assume it's ferocious when really there was some like deeper underlying problem and so not judging people when you meet them by first impressions or the first thing you think about them don't stereotype others that feels like such low-hanging fruit to me for this one and we didn't do it yeah, was that so hard, Lookie?
Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. In this episode, Sean correctly pointed out that changing our culture is one of the largest challenges we face, and often that challenge starts at school. An organization helping to combat bias in education is Teaching for Change, which aims to supply both teachers and parents with tools to help educate kids in a global, progressive way that better prepares them for the complicated issues we all face. To learn more about their mission and to help, visit teachingforchange.org.